Okay, I'm not going to lie. 2017 was not my favorite year. My wife had dangerous surgery. She's fine. But experiences like that, they transform you. I learned to live without parents. You know, I should have known I was in for it late in 2016. My 89-year-old mother essentially died on the operating room table on election day. For me, that was a serious double whammy. Since then, it's been bumpy. Each of our millennial kids have had victories and challenges. Some of those challenges of the sort of five-alarm blaze variety, and I'm beginning to think that that may come with millennial territory. And on that 89-year-old mother front, we may have had our ups and downs. I wasn't exactly what she ordered, but the degree to which I have missed her caught me very much off guard. And so what's the best thing to do when you can't solve your own problems? I know. How about running a business where you attempt to solve the problems of others? I find it to be a most excellent deflection technique. Through this year, I have learned quite a lot at home and at the office. And I thought I might share some of that in the form of resolutions. It is New Year's after all. But should we think of them less as resolutions? The word seems to carry so much weight. I think it might be wise for us to just think of them as 15 things worth a shot in 2018. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. To make it onto my list, the things worth a shot in 2018, the item had to meet several criteria. One, doable not so ridiculously ambitious that it becomes history by the end of January, if not sooner. Number two, universal. Whether you're a board or staff leader, a volunteer, a donor, or a, just a plain human being living in what Stephen Colbert has called a, quote, broken and brokenhearted world, end quote. I was going for what felt like important constants based on my work, my life, and just generally living in the world as a relatively observant human being. And number three, the item had to be meaningful to me. Now, what that means is that these items feel like they really matter to me, and I am going to work hard to keep them top of mind for myself this year. It's kind of silly to suggest resolutions to people and then not take them seriously yourself. So here goes the list. These are not, and I repeat, these are not in priority order. Why? Well, because your priority order isn't going to be the same as mine. So order them as you like, edit them freely, chat about them at the kitchen table or at a staff meeting. I don't know, kind of wanted to offer you a starting place. So here's number one. Have a really thoughtful conversation with someone with whom you deeply disagree. Note that I did not say, try to persuade them to your point of view. This is important in my things that are worth a shot in 2018. 
Clearly, I have seen that the echo chamber does not serve leaders well. You have to really see how people of all political stripes, colors, gender, sexual orientation, identity, socioeconomic status, all of those things, you need to understand how they see the world. Please, again, we're not talking persuasion or lobbying here. I want you to read newspapers you don't read. Watch a cable news channel that you find really hard to watch. Try to understand what motivates those people who do not stand with you. This is especially true if you run an advocacy organization or you're really trying to change hearts and minds about a marginalized community or societal problem. There's an organization, and actually um, last year, right around Election Day, I did a podcast with a woman named Parisa Parsa. And she runs an organization that used to be called the Public Conversations Project. You can Google it. I believe it is now called Essential Partners. There are enormous number of tools you can download there that help you to think about how to have a really hard conversation with someone with whom you disagree. It's not about mediation. It's just about conversation. Okay. Number two, ask a question instead of making a statement. I feel like I have gotten more mileage out of this piece of advice this year than almost any other. And I try to take it to heart on a personal level as well. So the first thing I should tell you is that I have this fictional hero. He's a 1970s television detective named Columbo. First of all, his, his um, wrinkled trench coat always uh, was uh, endearing to me. But he solved murders. But he didn't do it by making observations or statements. He did it by asking questions. With a cigar hanging out of his mouth. Those of a certain age know what I'm talking about, and those that don't probably saw it on TV land or something, so they know what I'm talking about. Okay, so he would come to a murder scene, and instead of making a statement, he would do this. So why do you suppose the victim went on the treadmill after he took a bath? This was a real episode. And of course the guy had been electrocuted in the bathtub and then the uh, murderer had then placed him on the treadmill hanging over the treadmill, right? Why do you suppose? And of course he said that to the, um, the murderer. He asked questions, he didn't make statements. It gives you run room for the person to respond. It's one of the very best tools to manage well and offer solid, constructive feedback. So try this, think about this. Instead of, you know, I'm really upset that you hijacked that meeting with your own agenda, or here's what you need to do. Try questions instead. It empowers the other person and also gives you the opportunity to allow them to reveal something to you that might actually create some movement and some real change. So how's this about the meeting? How do you feel that meeting went? You know, we, 
we hadn't discussed the idea that you raised before. And it, and it clearly had a lot of implications for the rest of the team, as I think they said in the meeting. I'm wondering why you didn't talk to me about it ahead of time. You feel the difference? You hijacked the meeting versus kind of, I'm, I'm kind of confused. Scratch your head, like not literally, but almost like metaphorically scratch your head. It's a really good technique. Or try this one. Instead of saying, here's what you need to do. How's this? Okay, so let's suppose I was not here and you had to make this decision on your own. Why don't you talk me through how you would make the decision, the pros and the cons, and then what you might ultimately decide? You see the difference? You're actually letting the person talk out and talk through what the issues are. It empowers them and you learn something about how they think, how they operate. Are they catching all the nuances? And then you can add your two cents in, or you can just say, sounds like you've got this covered. I'm going to lunch. All right. Number three. Eliminate lateral violence in your workplace. Call it out and nip it in the bud. Perhaps you're actually wondering what lateral violence is. Some of you may be familiar with the term, others not. Lateral violence is displaced violence, and violence is a, a broad term here, directed against one pe one's peers rather than against their adversaries. It's very, very common in organizations that are fighting for equality, where there is a quote-unquote enemy or serious opposition. It's hard to, when, uh, when I was at GLAAD and the President of the United States at that time, George W. Bush, wanted a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage rights, it's really, really hard on your staff to hear something like that come from someone with so much power. And so, far too often, so often that there's a title for it, lateral violence, that staff will begin to take it out on one another. And what I'd like you to try to keep in mind is that all of our organizations in the nonprofit space are in the business of attempting to build a civil society. I love that phrase, building a civil society. If your organization is not civil, if the people who work in your organization are not civil to one another, it's a little bit hypocritical to think that you're in the business of building a civil society. Take this one really seriously in 2018. Personally, professionally, at the dinner table, things have felt very uncivilized in 2017. And... Um, you know, it's something about being the change you seek, right? All right. So, so far, what do we have? We have, have a thoughtful conversation with someone with whom you disagree. And number two, ask a question, do not make a statement. Number three, zero tolerance for lateral violence. Number four, put your mask on before you helped your loved one put on theirs. Um, every time you're on an airplane, you think, 
If that really happened, could I really do that? Could I really put my mask on before I put a mask on my five-year-old son? You got to. The only way you can take care of others is to take care of yourself. It's really hard. I've seen it all year long, especially this year, but I see it every single day. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not immune from it myself. Put your mask on first. Number five. This is a simple one. Volunteer. If you already do, please remember that people are counting on you. If you haven't, if you don't, you're missing out. You're missing out. I've written blog posts about this over the years, about the power of volunteerism and how it actually makes people feel better. Literally, makes people feel better. There was some study that I quoted this year or last year where people who volunteer actually spend fewer nights in the hospital than those people who don't. Um, and I am so all about spending fewer nights in the hospital, let me tell you that. So volunteer, do something nice for someone and make a commitment to it and stick to it. There are 62 million people in America who do some kind of volunteer work. Get on the list. Number six, read the email before you hit send. I talk about this a lot with clients when they say, you know, I'm a little conflict averse and I know I should, in fact, I should go down the hall into the office of the person um, I'm having a challenge with, but oh, I just can't bear it. So I just sent in, I just fired off an email. That's what I like. I like that phrase. I fired off an email. If you actually experience it as firing off an email, you should never have hit that send button. I mean, seriously. If you cannot imagine picking up the phone or walking in the office and saying what is in that email draft, you owe it to yourself and to the person who is receiving it to delete it. There are a couple of books I have recommended to people all year long. One is a book called Difficult Conversations, and another one is called Fierce Conversations. And going back to my first uh, resolution about having conversations with people with whom you disagree, these two books are really helpful in this regard as well. Uh, I learned about difficult conversations uh, when I became a certified mediator, but it doesn't matter. It's not necessarily about mediation. Sometimes it's just about offering constructive feedback in a way that people can hear it having a conversation that moves things forward rather than sticks them in the mud or sends them backwards. That simple. Please, let 2018 be the first year that you do not fire off an email. Um, number seven, consider buying at least one silly item and keeping it on your desk at all times. I am constantly struck by how important people recognize that their work is. And I think this is true in the for-profit sector too, by the way, but especially in the nonprofit sector. My goodness, I am changing the world. Every decision I make matters to the nth degree. If you do not find an outlet for humor in your work in 2018, it's going to be a long year. I have a... Um, 
I believe I paid $15 for it. I got it from my colleague, Maria. It is a sound effects machine. And um, I don't actually have it here in the office. Otherwise, I would give you a couple of examples of it. But you can go on Amazon.com, and there are probably about 20 of them. And uh, they range from applause to the sound of a little violin for somebody who's whining. And they can cut through in the simplest little ways that can get you um, just for a moment to just take it just a little bit lighter. Number eight. This may seem a little tactical. Set a series of Google alerts at the beginning of the year. And this is really about being well-informed about the things that matter in your work world. Maybe it's a Google alert about your biggest donor or about a foundation that you're intrigued by you think might fund your work, a current issue in your community or sector. Maybe there's a journalist who covers your sector more than any other journalist. Google alert on that journalist's name. Follow how he or she covers the work. By the way, that could lead you to a story, to a quote. It might lead you to an op-ed. The more well-informed you are about the village of people around your organization, the more um, impactful you will be. Um, I'm about halfway through my list, so let me just recap really quickly. Uh, number one, have a really thoughtful conversation with someone who disagrees with you. I thought I'd start with the fun stuff. Number two, ask a question. Do not make a statement. Number three, eliminate lateral violence in your workplace. Zero tolerance for incivility. Number four, put your mask on before you put on the mask of your loved one. Can't help someone else if you're not taking care of yourself. Volunteer. Number six, read that email before you hit send. Number seven, buy one silly item and keep it on your desk. And number eight, Set a series of Google alerts. You can't keep track of everything, but you're in your email inbox incessantly. So give it a go. Um, because those Google alerts just might pop something into your inbox that could make the difference in terms of funding, could make the difference in terms of visibility for your organization and the press. It's one way, one nice, easy way to stay in touch with the things, the issues, the people, the organizations, the donors that matter. All right, number nine, don't just look at the numbers. Figure out what the numbers are telling you. When I worked at Showtime, I, I, uh, when I worked at MTV, I was sent to a class on finance for the non-financial executive, and it was one of the most important things I ever did because it helped me to understand how to explain numbers to non-financial people. And what it also helped me to do was it helped me to look at numbers and identify trends, look at how, where the money was being spent, what percentage this way versus that way. How could I reconfigure the numbers so that we could be, in that case, more profitable, but in the nonprofit world, potentially more impactful? There is such a difference between looking at a financial statement every month and making sure it ticks and ties 
and looking at a financial statement and saying, what does this tell us about the business part of our organization? And if you do a monthly close with the Audit and Finance Committee and you're not talking about what the numbers mean, then you're not having the right conversation. So that's my numbers uh, resolution for 2018. Number 10, here's a quote. You know, that's just how I am. That's just the way I am. You know, I'm like that. You know, it it is what it is. I'm just kind of like that. This statement does not fly as either an explanation or an excuse. It doesn't excuse bad behavior. It doesn't excuse mistakes. It doesn't, it's just doesn't like, you know, I just happen to be the kind of person who's conflict averse. Nope. Not good enough. Do not allow anyone to get away with saying that's just the way I am. Don't ever utter it yourself this year. Instead, try this. I've never really been very good at providing what someone would hear as negative feedback to a staff member. And I really need to get better at it. How can I do that? As opposed to, I'm just not, that's, I'm not good at that. That's just not my thing. As a leader, a lot of things have to be your thing. And you may be good at some of them and not great at all of them. Figure out how to compensate for that and don't give the jobs to someone else. Work with somebody, partner, don't give it away. Build up your skills. Number 11, ask. Just go ahead and ask. I do a lot of executive coaching. And in the course of that, I ask them questions, right? Remember? Columbo's my fictional television hero. So I'll ask a question. Well, did you ask the donor where else they give? No. What was the next step from the conversation you have? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, how did the person get involved with the organization to begin with? You know, I didn't ask. Why not? Somehow or another, somehow or another, it feels off limits to ask people questions. And I don't quite get it. If you're sitting down and you're a board or a staff leader and you're sitting down with someone who has an interest in your organization at whatever level, you're going to answer any questions they have. Why shouldn't you ask questions? So how'd you get involved with, uh, with ABC organization? So tell me a little bit about your philanthropic portfolio. I'm, I'm really curious about where else you give and why. You should not leave a conversation, and I'm not just talking about a donor, I'm talking about a staff member. Do you have an, or a prospective staff member? Did you have a really good sense of whether they liked their last job or not? No, you know, I didn't ask that question. (sighs) Ask more questions, learn more, be inquisitive. It's not nosy, it's not inappropriate. It's the way that you build a relationship and it's the way that you garner an understanding of how to create some kind of lasting partnership between that person and your organization. Number 12. It's related. I want you to think about every conversation you have as an invitation. I talk about this quite a lot when I work with boards. 
Oh, I'm not very good at asking for money. I'd really, I told people I couldn't ask for money. That's not, that's not why I'm on this board. Why don't you think about it differently? See, asking questions. Why don't you think about it that you're an ambassador? Your job is to tell a great story about the organization that ignites their interest. And that what you're really doing is inviting them to know more and do more. They get to decide whether they accept the invitation or not. You're not in the arm twisting business. You're not in the transactional business. You're in the invitation business. If you think about it that way, it's the right way to think about it. And it just makes it a whole lot easier. I love this organization. I've been on the board for X years. And let me tell you a quick story about it and why it's meaningful. And we have a wonderful executive director. Would you like to know more? If you do the earlier part really well, would you like to know more? Becomes a really easy question because the person is absolutely going to say yes. So think of every conversation you have with people outside of your organization as an invitation to know more and do more for your calls. All right, number 13. This is a hard one. Learn to let go a little. This is a really hard one. It's really a hard one if you're parenting adults. Right? So it's easy to tell your four-year-old what to do, and if you, they don't do it, you're in, they go into timeout or something, right? But parenting adults is a whole different ballgame. You've got to learn to let go a little. I find this uh, advice to be equally valuable, perhaps more valuable and impactful when it comes to managing people. I wrote a blog post a number of weeks ago. You can find it at joangary.com. And it's about micromanaging. And it was prompted by a client of mine who said, I don't know if I am micromanaging or not. So I'd like to describe the behavior, and if you could help me understand whether this is good management or micromanagement, I would really appreciate it. And it struck me that she was pulling the rope in a little bit tighter because she had concerns about the employee's performance. Seemed right to me, did not seem like micromanaging, although clearly it would be perceived as such. But one of the things you really have to do is you need to start to learn how, and once you've brought on some good people, assuming you've got some money for staff, to let go a little. Because if you hang on tight, they're not going to feel powerful or empowered to actually do the job or the thing, and they're not going to feel the reward or the payoff for having done it well. Remember my question earlier when I said, so why don't you tell me what the problem is and how you would solve it if I was not here? That's a way to let go a little. Let's try to let the rope out by asking that question rather than saying, okay, the, okay, the problem is X. Do one, two, three, four, and five. I think that's going to solve your problem. Come back and let me know how it goes. You don't want to be that kind of leader or manager. You want to be the kind of leader or manager that knows when to let the rope out and when to pull the rope in. And it usually involves learning to let go a little. Coming down the home stretch, I've got two more for you. Number 14, channel your inner Kermit. Laura Zilke 
is uh, one of my team members. She's the community manager at the nonprofit Leadership Lab, which is an online membership site that I have for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits. She's a cheerleader, an advocate for our community of board and staff leaders, and a cherished member of the village. I just came into the office today to record this podcast, and waiting for me was a gift from Laura, and it was a stuffed Kermit. In my book, with the most clever of titles, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership, (laughs) I don't know, what else was I going to call it? Um, I talk about what it takes to be a great nonprofit leader. And I talk about Kermit the Frog. I've explored a bunch of different superheroes, and I continue to come back to Kermit. Humble, visionary, brings together diverse points of view, ignites enthusiasm, contends with high-maintenance people, or Muppets for that matter, And so I want you to just think about this year. Think about Kermit the Frog. What would Kermit do when you find yourself in a bit of a quandary or something goes awry? You think to yourself, oh, Kermit would never have done that. Let Kermit be a little bit of a North Star for you in 2018. I I know it's ridiculous for me to be talking about Kermit the Frog like he's real, but now he's on my desk, so he feels way way realer than he did before I opened my gift box. And thank you, Laura, for the thoughtful gift. Uh, The last, number 15, the last one. Please do what matters. I'd love for you to take just a few minutes. We'll put it in the links for the podcast. There's a TED Talk was done at uh, TED New York City maybe two years ago. An emergency medical technician from Long Island. And what he learned about life, talking with people he knew were going to die in the back of his ambulance. It's a very moving TED talk. And both bittersweet and remarkably inspiring at the same time. And here's what he learned, but I don't want to steal it entirely, so really take but 10 minutes to watch it. He said the two questions that he is most often asked in the back of his ambulance, do you think I will be remembered? Do you think my life had meaning? They are asking a total stranger who has just told them they probably will not make it to the hospital. And it's just something to think about as you move into 2018. That that's the question people most ask to an unknown EMT in the back of an ambulance. They ask, will you remember me? And of course he says yes. Will you be remembered? And you know what? You don't have to cure cancer. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be something big to be remembered. But just know that that's what goes through people's minds when they're at near the end of their lives. And so why wait until then? 
to ask the question. Maybe start the year that way and make sure that in 2018 you do something that matters. Those are my 15. I could have added to the list. I could have shortened it. But those are the 15 things that really sung out to me. I hope they're helpful to you. You can add a 16th. That's a freebie. Add your own. Edit the 15. Do what you like with them. But I do hope they were useful. It was actually quite useful to think about them for myself. As you move into 2018, I will, as I always do, end by saying how much I appreciate my listeners and all of the work that you do, that you take time from your ridiculous days to, um, to listen to some of the things that I have to say. And I hope that um, at least some of them make your day a little easier, help you to recognize that you're not quite so overwhelmed or alone, and that you are part of a, an enormous village of do-gooders. Um, and that, yes, it may be a thankless job, but there's a lot of thanks coming from me. Um, as you move into 2018, do take advantage of the varying resources that I have available to folks like you, um, remarkable folks like you. My blog at joangary.com with two R's. My podcast, we're now in up into the 40s of episodes. Take a look at the list of episodes and I hope you'll find something you'll find to be of value uh, by topic. And we will be um, opening the Nonprofit Leadership Lab again in April of this year. This is our online membership site for uh, leaders of small nonprofits, both on the board and the staff side. You can learn more about that at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. And that book with the clever name, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership, is available at amazon.com. Until we meet again, Happy New Year. Take care. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.